when you study the revivals in church history, there were members of those churches who thought they were Christians and all was well with their souls. They thought they were spiritual, but actually they were spiritually dead. All of a sudden, they woke up to this horrendous realization that they were spiritually dead. All of a sudden, the church was made alive. What is revival? You might have heard of this word before, or even sung the hymn, Revive Us Again. But what are we actually asking for? What happens when a person becomes spiritually revived? What difference does it make to the way they live their life? Do you and I need to be revived? Hi, and welcome to Tried and True with Paul Cheng. I'm your host, Joshua Na, and in today's episode, Pastor Paul pauses our weekly study of Philippians to look at Psalm 85 to answer the big questions, what is revival? And how do I become revived? In today's world, more and more people are becoming experts at diagnosing more and more problems, be it health-related, technology-related, politics-related, and even theology-related. We go for annual checkups with these experts, and even become educated enough to diagnose our own conditions and take the necessary steps to address any worsening problems. But what about our spiritual condition? Do we pay any attention to our spiritual health? Let's hear from Pastor Paul now as he defines spiritual health and sickness and help us strive for true revival, God's way. Have you ever been discouraged because the life you are living right now does not seem to be as joyful as your life was when you first became a Christian? Have you ever felt that week after week, you are like going through the motions of worship services and fellowship activities that somehow they are becoming more of a routine than a spiritual exercise. Perhaps there was a time when you were diligent in studying the Bible, you were eager to share the gospel, you were zealous to serve the Lord, but now all the assignment seem to have disappeared. You know in your heart that something is wrong. You are a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ and you cannot simply continue in this spiritual liturgy. What can you do? Well, you can pray to the only one who can help you. The Almighty God, will thou not revive us again? This is the title of our message for this morning. Indeed, we need a revival in our lives, in our families, in our church. And this is what we want to learn from Psalm 85. The first thing we want to learn from this psalm is a reflection on past mercies. Psalm 85 seemed to have been written after the return of the Jews from the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. In our DHW studies, we have learned that the Assyrians came and captured 
the northern kingdom in 722 BC. Later on, the Babylonians came in 586 BC and captured the southern kingdom. By God's providence, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, the Jews were allowed to return to their land. When they first arrived in Jerusalem, they started to build the temple. The foundations were laid, and subsequently the temple was completed. Somewhere along the way, they tried to rebuild the city's wall. The work was difficult, and it was abandoned. Their enemies destroyed whatever they had done and even burned the city's gates. You can imagine the people must have felt so grateful when they first returned to their homeland. They must have felt great joy giving thanks to the Almighty God when they return. And then all of a sudden, they were plunged into great discouragement and despair. In such devastating times, what can God's people do? Dear friends, when the present situation surrounding your life is so dreadful, when you turn to the left, you see sickness in the family. When you turn to the right, you see financial struggles. When you look forward, the future seems so bleak and doubtful. What can you do? When the present situation is so discouraging, when the future is so uncertain, what can we do? Sometimes it will do us good to look backwards, not to reflect on our past accomplishments, but to reflect on God's past mercies. Therefore, the psalmist says from verse 1 to 3, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Silla. Silla is a musical pause. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Notice the number of times the phrase thou hast was used. The best part of history is not to remember what you and I have accomplished, but to remember the great things God has done in our lives. History will not be history if we do not see his story, as in the story of Christ. The God whom we believe in is the God of the Bible, He's the God of history. 
Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Whenever we reflect on the past events in our lives, we must learn to see the hands of God working in our midst. The events in our lives, the events surrounding our families, our church, did not happen by chance or coincidence, but by the mighty hand of God. Each time we remember, we are comforted that we are not alone. Each time we remember, we are encouraged that God has been gracious and merciful. He has empowered us so we may rise up with greater zeal and passion, with greater strength to serve Him, to live for His glory. It was God who showed favor to the land of Israel. It was God who brought the Jews back to the land. It was God who forgave their sins. It was God who turned His anger away from them. Have they forgotten His mercies? Dear friends, have we forgotten God's mercies? Perhaps today we are enjoying good health and strength. We have a happy and supportive family. We have good jobs with understanding bosses and friends. We think everything is well and good. We are not lacking in anything. And then we start to think that it is our hands that have brought in all these blessings. That is when we forget God. The reason why we forget God is because we are proud. Do you remember Lucifer, how he had fallen? It was all because of pride. In Isaiah 14 verse 13, the Bible says, For thou, Lucifer, hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also among the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. Again, notice the number of times he used I, I, I. When Lucifer became proud, instead of glorifying God, he exhorted himself. He said, I will ascend, I will exhort, I will sit, and I will be like the Most High. In other words, I will be like God. The moment we think we are the ones responsible for our successes, our accomplishments, our victories, our achievements, that is when we are in deep, 
deep trouble. We must never rob God of His glory. Whether it be our studies, our church ministries, our fellowship groups, our marriages, our individual lives, it is all because of God. So we must always give all glory due to His name. It is God who has saved us, transported us out of darkness into His marvelous light. This morning we are able to render our voices to sing those beautiful hymns. It's because of Him. It is God who has provided for all our needs. It is God who has strengthened our hands to do the work set before us. It is God who has given us this breath of life to wake up this morning, to drive our cars, and come to church. It is the Almighty God. It is God who has enabled us to establish this church, sustain this church through years. There may be joys, there may be sorrows, there may be trials, there may be victories. God is the one who has sustained us. When we forget that, we are in deep, deep trouble. When we reflect on God's past mercies, how can we not love Him with all our hearts and with all our souls? We want to love Him more. We want to serve and glorify Him. But then we realize that all this while, we have not been doing that. Our families seem to have forgotten. Our children seem to have forgotten. We ourselves seem to have forgotten. How can we allow ourselves to fall into such a pathetic situation? So like the psalmist, we cried out, O Lord, will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice, not rejoice in ourselves, rejoice in thee. Once we forget God, once we take our eyes away from him, there will be no rejoicing. So we want God to revive us again so we will rejoice in him this brings us to our second point a prayer for revival when we remember the past mercies of God it will move us to pray when we realize that we have lost the joy of salvation we want to restore that joy. We want to get back that joy. Then, we can only turn to the one who can restore that joy. When we realize that we have lost our effectiveness, our passions, 
our zeal. We want to be restored with the same effectiveness, passion, and zeal. We can only look to the one who can restore those things to us. Our God is a great restorer. That is why the psalmist says in verses 4 to 7, Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. If we are true believers, we will not lose our salvation. But we will lose, or we can lose, the joy of our salvation. When we lose that joy, when we lose that spiritual passion, when we lose our enthusiasm for spiritual things, when we are drifting further and further away from God, it seems as if God has turned His eyes away from us. It seems as if God is angry with us. Isn't it true? That was why the psalmist cried out, Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou not revive us again? To revive means to quicken, to resurrect, to make a life. It implies that the person was once alive, and now it seems as if he is dead, spiritually speaking. And he needs to be spiritually re awakened again that is what the church always need oftentimes when people think of a revival they think of a movement of God in the world that the unbelievers will be revived but revivals do not start in the world because the world was never alive in the first place. Revivals only start in the church because the church, which was once alive, now may seem to be dead. So she needs to be made alive again. When you study the revivals in church history, it always brings into our minds faithful men like Martin Luther, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, who preached powerfully in those churches at that time. There were members of those churches who thought they were Christians, and all was well with their souls. They thought they were spiritual. 
but actually they were spiritually dead. All of a sudden, they woke up to this horrendous realization that they were spiritually dead. The unconverted wept and repented of their sins. Nominal Christians who have been attending church for years, warming their pews, all of a sudden rose up, gave their lives to serve the Lord, and began to live for Jesus Christ so boldly, so openly, that the world outside began to take notice. And then the world pressed inside the church to see what was happening. Empty pews in the church started to be filled up. All of a sudden, the church was made alive. That was why the American revival during Jonathan Edwards' time was called the Great Awakening. All of a sudden, the church was awakened. Yes, we have had revivals in the past, in history, which we can read in books, but we have not had one for many years. Do we need a revival in our church, in our families, in our lives? Most certainly. But firstly, we must understand what can a revival do to us? A revival will restore our hunger for God's word. Today, there are thousands and thousands who profess to be believers, but never pick up a Bible and read it. Think about this statement. Thousands and thousands profess to believe God, never pick up a Bible and read it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, as newborn babes desire the sincere melt of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. One interesting thing about a baby is that you do not have to work very hard to get the baby to feed. When the baby is hungry, the baby cries. When the baby wants to be fed, he wants to be fed. When he wants milk, he wants milk. And he will not stop crying until he gets fed. Sincere means pure, unadulterated. Like the pure milk coming straight from the mother to the baby. Peter used this analogy to teach us that if we are true believers, we would hunger for the word of God like a baby would desire the sincere milk. If that is true, then Bible study will not be a struggle. 
then reading the Bible will not be a legalistic thing. Listening to a sermon will not be a tedious obligation. It will be a natural thing that flows out from this hunger within our hearts. Take a moment and consider your life. Since the last Lost Day worship service, have you picked up the Bible and read it throughout the week? Have you seen your sons and daughters read the Bible in their own quiet time? Why is there no hunger for the Word of God? Something is wrong. Isn't it true? Only one kind of baby will not desire milk. And that is a stillborn baby. Isn't that a frightening thought? Only someone who makes false, empty profession does not really believe that person suddenly will not have this love for God's word. We pray that we are true believers indeed. And as true believers, we ought to have this hunger for God's word. Do we need a revival? Yes. So we pray, will thou not revive us again? in our love for thy word, in our hunger for thy truth. A reviver will cause us to repent from our sins. A genuine revival will also lead to a genuine repentance from sins. You see, revival is a supernatural work. It is not a human work. It is the wonder-working of the Spirit of God in the lives and hearts of the people. A person who is revived will be very conscious of the presence of God. And when he is conscious of God's presence, he would never play the fool with sin. If you and I are very conscious of God's presence, then will we willfully walk into sin? Will we continue to dwell in sin? Will we visit those sinful websites? Will we lie and cheat without blinking an eye? Will we harbor those wicked thoughts, jealousy, bitterness, anger, and other hidden agendas. Like one pastor said, will you walk into adultery with your wife standing beside you? Most certainly not. We need a revival so that we will be conscious of the presence of God. Will thou not revive us so that we will repent 
from our sins. A revival will also restore our service for the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 100 verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Have we been serving the Lord with gladness in our hearts? Consider the way you work in your secular job. As a daily routine, you wake up early in the morning, you go to work, sit at your desk, there will be a pile of assignments set before you, and then you attempt to finish those assignments. At the end of the day, you are tired, you go back home, one day is gone. When we get into such a situation, it is very difficult to find satisfaction. How much less gladness? It is something unheard of. There's always this danger of going through this rut, going through this motion, doing our duties and responsibilities with no joy, no gladness at all. Now, the greater danger is when this attitude creeps into our services for God. That is the reason why people would serve with much murmurings and complaints. Because there's no gladness, no joy in serving the Lord. Serving God is the highest privilege, dear friends. It is the highest aspiration a person can ever aspire to be. And to serve the Almighty God without gladness, without joy, and with much murmurings and complaints, God forbids. May the Lord forgive us. We need a revival to restore our services to God so that you and I will be able to serve Him with much gladness, with much joy. So we must pray, will thou not revive us again in our services for thee? A revival would also restore our efforts in evangelism. Perhaps when we were first saved, we used to have gospel tracts in our pockets, in our cars, which we would give out to people whom we would meet in the streets. We might not be able to articulate the gospel clearly at that time. But we are very zealous to give out that gospel tract. And we will say to those people we meet, please take it. It is important for you. Read it and make sure you read it. But now we have lost that evangelistic passion. Two days ago, 
My father had a stroke and was admitted to hospital in Singapore. The first thing when I heard he was admitted, I tried to make arrangement to go back. Then I realized that my passport had expired. I was desperate. And the reason why I wanted to go back so that I can be with him by his bedside to remind him that only Jesus saves. To share with him about my Lord and Savior. I have evangelized to him in the past, but I want to assure him. I want to remind him. I want to share with him the full gospel again. Evangelism is very important to me, but it has never been more important than to me more urgent to me than now. Do we need a drastic situation to cause us to be revived in our evangelistic efforts? Dear friends, our parents who are unbelievers, our unbelieving grandparents and children, they will not be with us for long. We ought to be revived in our efforts for evangelism. We ought to be passionate, urgent. Evangelism ought to be urgent. So we must pray, Lord, will thou not revive us again? in our evangelism efforts cause us to understand that once a man draws his last breath, if he is lost, he is lost forever. And if that man is our dad, our mum, our grandparent, how sad we will be. Our friends, we ought to be revived in our evangelistic efforts. A revival would also restore our prayer life. When we first got saved, we loved to pray. We would attend church. We would attend prayer meetings. We were excited, but now we have lost the passion for prayers. We will not step foot into the church on Friday prayer meetings. We only pray when we eat. And we hate long prayers because it causes us to yawn and we feel very sleepy. Something is wrong with us. Do we need a revival in our prayer life? Surely. So we must pray, Lord, will thou not revive us again in our prayer life? A revival would also restore our worship of God. When we first got saved, we loved to come to church, worship God, fellowship with the believers. Now we are coming to church 
because it is just the thing to do. Come Sunday morning, it is just the thing to do. Others who come to church because of certain obligations, maybe their parents want them to come or to meet their friends or for other reasons. Does the worship of God mean anything to you? Does the Holy Communion which you partake mean anything to you? Verse 2 says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. How did God forgive their iniquities? How did God forgive and covered their sins? It is by the precious blood of the Lamb. And each time they slaughtered that unblemished Lamb, it will be a most terrifying sight. There will be death, there will be blood. And it was a reminder of the atonement that God would wrought on the cross of Calvary. Have you ever wondered why our Lord Jesus would command us to take the bread, eat of it, drink the cup in remembrance of me? Because we always forget. We forget the atonement. We are saved. Our iniquities are forgiven. Our sins are covered by the death and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is a most horrendous thing when believers forget the significance of the Holy Communion. When they come to church and partake of the bread and drink the cup, it is just the thing to do. Or they will not even remember to come to partake of the Lord's Supper. Do we need a revival? Yes. Will thou not revive us again in our worship of thee? Will thou not revive us again that we will understand and remember the significance of the Holy Communion? Now the list can go on and on and on. So as we reflect on the past mercies of God, we'll be moved to pray for revival. And when we pray for revival, will thou not again revive us? Surely he will. So that brings us to our final point. A hopeful trust in God's promises. The psalmist says in verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. When God's people are willing to listen and to do what the Lord says through his word, God will speak. And God says he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints and let them not turn again to folly. 
There's always this danger of God's people returning to their sins, forgetting, and then going back. That is why they need to be constantly reminded. Today, God has provided pastors, preachers, to remind His people not to return to their follies. If you are willing to listen, then God will speak and He will remind you. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites listened and obeyed God's word through the prophets, when they were fearful of sinning and going astray from God, God was always faithful to deliver them from their troubles. And God would always make them experience His presence, the presence of His glory in their land. That is why the psalmist says in verse 9, Surely His salvation is nine them that fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. When God's people experience His presence in their lives, they would also experience His spiritual blessings. And what are His spiritual blessings? Look at verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So just like the plants that spring from the earth and the rain that pours down from heaven, verse 11 says, Truth shall spring up of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Now all these spiritual blessings we all want. Mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace. No man, no matter how spiritual or how powerful he is, can command and say, I want mercy. Or I want the church to stand on the side of truth. Or I want righteousness. Or I want peace. I want blessing. No man can ever command and say, I want these spiritual blessings. Only God, the giver, is able to provide these spiritual blessings. Whenever there's a revival, the people would experience His presence in their lives, and then they will also receive all these spiritual blessings. There will be mercy, truth, righteousness, peace, and so forth. Because God says in verse 12, Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall you her increase. God will not withhold that which is good. When the people repent, turn to Him, when there's a revival, God will give us all these good things. And when that happens, verse 13 says, 
Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. Whose righteousness is this? And whose footsteps are we to follow? The only absolute and perfect righteousness the world has ever seen is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As believers, we are commanded to imitate our Savior. We are to follow Him, and we are to walk in the path of righteousness. When God revises us, then we will be following our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be walking in the path of righteousness. How wonderful that will be when the church, the leaders, the Sunday school teachers, the parents, the children, the congregation members, all of us are walking in the path of righteousness. That will only happen when there is a revival. When the church is revived, the families, individual lives are revived. So, my friends, as we reflect on the past mercies of God, we are reminded of how we have lost the joy of salvation. We realize how far we have drifted away whether it be in our prayer life, in our services for God, in our worship, in our evangelism, in all these aspects, we need to be revived. And God promises, when we turn to Him, when we repent of our sinful ways, He will revive us. The only way the church, the family, and the individual life can be revived is when you and I humble ourselves and cry out to the only one who can revive us. As Second Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for enabling us to consider this portion of scriptures. O oh Lord, indeed, revive us. We do not want to go through this motion, this routine, whereby we forget the significance of all the things we do. It is the spiritual significance that is most important. 
and we have lost it. We pray that whether it be in our worship, in our hunger for thy word, in our prayer life, in our evangelism efforts, in our worship of thee, revive us, O Lord, revive us. We want to receive thy mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace. We want thy presence to be always felt in our lives, to be conscious of thee. We pray that thou will renew our spiritual passions for thee and help us once again not to be just a physical church existing in this world, but truly a spiritual church that is always conscious of thy presence, that thy people will all walk in the path of righteousness. Do the glory of thy precious name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. That was Pastor Paul Cheng taking us through Psalm 85 and the significance of the prayer, Wilt thou not revive us again? As I was listening to Pastor describe all the amazing experiences of a spiritually vibrant soul, I couldn't help but feel inspired to ask God to come and revive me. I've heard it said once that if you want revival, all you have to do is draw a circle on the ground around you and say, Lord, start a revival in this circle. The point being that the person in greatest need of revival will always be me. Hopefully this sermon has helped you realize the sure confidence you can place in God to help you become the saint that he wants you to be by looking back at his past mercies and praying over his promises, namely the promise that by following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're on the ultimate path to spiritual life and vitality. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. For more of Pastor Paul's sermons and other resources such as transcripts of these sermons, weekly pastoral exhortations, daily devotionals, and more, visit our website at bethelbpc.com.au or check out our YouTube channel at Bethel Bible Presbyterian Church. Join us next Sunday as Pastor resumes our study on the Epistle to the Philippians, looking at the concept of following examples and what godly and ungodly examples look like here on Tried and True.